Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, listeners of Other People's Pockets, we're interested in hearing about whether you've had a big rupture in your life and how it impacted your personal finances. A divorce, a death, a diagnosis, anything where there was a financial before and after for you. Leave us a voicemail at 323-540-4255. That's 323-540-4255. Or record a voice memo no longer than five minutes and send it to otherpeoplespockets at gmail.com. Also, if you like the show, please tell a friend and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And thank you for being a part of this community that we're growing. Hey, just a heads up, there's a little bit of background noise in the audio, but it does not last the whole episode. Yeah, I mean, my dad in the Dominican Republic, he was a beekeeper. Uh, he oh, wow. he actually had his own, like, beehive. So Klaus's uh, last name of the French man who certified my dad as a beekeeper in the Dominican Republic. He sold enough honey to bring my mom while she was pregnant with me over here. And that's where my name came Today, I'm so excited to bring you my interview with Koss Marte. Koss is a lifelong entrepreneur and the founder of Conbody, a workout program he created in prison that employs formerly incarcerated fitness trainers. He also founded Conbud, a legal cannabis dispensary that is taking advantage of the cannabis licenses New York State is giving to business owners who have been convicted of marijuana-related offenses. Conbud is scheduled to open this fall. Koss served seven years in prison after running a multi-million dollar drug delivery service selling marijuana, crack, and cocaine starting when he was a teenager. When he got out of prison, it wasn't easy to get a job as a formerly incarcerated person. Today, he's earning a living on his own terms and he's providing a path to employment for other people coming out of prison. 
I'm Maya Lau, and this is Other People's Pockets, the show where I ask people how much they make and how their finances work, so the questions we all have about money can be a little bit less of a mystery. Koss, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So you have an amazing story. Can you just tell us a bit about your background? It's it's a crazy story. You know, I'm I, um, born and raised in the Lower East Side of New York City. Um, and my my mom came to this neighborhood in, in, the, in the mid-80s uh, when she was pregnant with me. And we ended up here in this neighborhood that was like extremely drug infested. You know, when, when people talk about the Lower East Side today, they... They don't really see that. They see a, a gallery, you know, poodle walking neighborhood that is very artsy, you know, and and no one saw or uh, could imagine, you know, anybody that's young today could imagine how how crazy it was back then. But I would I would describe it as like a sort of a little bit of a third world country. Um, burned down buildings. I would see drug lines uh, down the block. You know, people buying heroin in front of me, shooting up heroin in front of me. And, and so that was a normal thing for me. I didn't, I didn't think, you know, I knew it was bad because I would see people like use, you know, heroin and, and lean out and drop on the ground and, and see that it was not a good thing that they were doing. But, you know, I was a, I was attracted to the, the individuals that were in front of the line who were handing out these drugs, you know, and they were doing this right in front of my building. And so I, I saw them with the big chains, you know, with the, you know, the, the, the fur coats, you know, and where Lower East Side is famous for uh, our fur, uh, mink, you know, fox furs and things of that nature because Orchard Street was where, like, all the, like, pimps and all that stuff and all the drug goods used to buy their, their uh, you know, gator shoes back in the day. And so that was, like, that the avenue where everybody came to splurge. And so I would see this, and I thought that was a success. I thought that was very attractive. And, and uh, as my mom, you know, was just hustling, trying to make it, you know, she she had four of us, and... And she worked two jobs, you know, sometimes a, a dirt hustle on the side. And and she she provided for us, but it was not enough for me. You know, I would ask my mom for this and that. And she would say, you know, her number one excuse was I didn't have enough money. So uh, that would frustrate me and I would, I would go get it myself. And so that's where I ended up being led to the world of drugs, uh, where some of my older cousins were already involved and family members and friends around the neighborhood. And at, at 11, I started smoking. At 13, I started dealing. And and I grew it out to a multi-million dollar drug business. Wow. And how much were you at, at the height, how much were you personally taking home every year, say? Uh, about $5 million of revenue. Uh, I was between my partner and I back then. We were par- profiting about two million dollars. So how we would generate that money was basically uh, we were buy uh, you know a kilo would average around that time about twenty twenty thousand um, dollars. We would sell about a kilo a week, and we would generate about a hundred thousand uh, dollars off that kilo. It was a good profit margin, and and the margins were higher because. 
of the people that I marketed to and the different demographic of individuals that, that bought stuff from us. So you're saying you had like 5 million in revenue. You personally took home 2 million and your partner took home about 2 million. And then, so that's a million that was like your overhead or? Yeah, a million was my overhead. Mm -hmm. What did that get spent on? I'm sure like you had employees. I think you said you had like 20 people working for you. Yeah, employees, but we were operating with a 24 pack. So what that meant was that each each bag was a gram, each gram was a hundred bucks. And that was like the minimum order. So each driver, you know, would have a, a, a pack on them of 24. Out of that 24, they'll get $2,400. And so we'll take the the 2,000 and the four bags for them would be their profit. And we had about 10 drivers on the road in two different shifts a day. So it was a 24-hour delivery service. We had drivers like sitting in different neighborhoods, whether it was like downtown, midtown, uptown, Brooklyn, Queens. So it was more of a borough thing. We did do stuff in like, in the tri-state area, but mostly in in the city. We made business cards. We wore suits. We started going out to random people. And we had cell phone services, nice cars. You know, it was just like a, a, a real service. You know, most of the people that were selling drugs back then had were fighting over a block. You know, these, these, these quarters that would generate a lot of cash. Um, you know, and had their, their stamp on it. But, you know, we... we got out of our four corners and we started scaling. All those millions of dollars that you earned, did you save any of it? Like what, what happened to that money? Uh, it was gone. Um, my child's mom used a lot of it. You know, she was not, she was not making money. I, used it while I was incarcerated to survive. And that was it. You know? And as I was making money, I was spending so much money. I think, I mean, I had like the the Louis and the Gucci's and I had over 300 pairs of Jordan sneakers, but all my, all my clothes, I actually donated it. So can you talk about when you were growing up, how your parents viewed money? Um, hmm. uh, you know, I never had that question asked to me. Uh, I don't know that how they really viewed money. You know, I, I guess they, they were seeking it, you know, as, as immigrants, uh, you know, come to this country, uh, they want to prosper a little bit more. I mean, my mom, she was making nothing in Dominican Republic as a teacher, you know, so she was a teacher over there and, and she couldn't transfer that skill over here. She she basically worked in a sewing factory. I remember her like maybe making like $200 a week, which was probably maybe like five times more than what she was making in Dominican Republic, you know? What about your dad? Yeah, I mean, my dad in Dominican Republic, he was a beekeeper. He actually had his own like beehive and so oh, wow. uh he sold enough honey uh to bring my mom while she was pregnant with me over here i don't know how much beekeeping there is 
on the Lower East Side, but like, was he ever <laughs> able to do that again? <laughs> no, he he never did it again. He never did it. I mean, he loves honey. Um, my dad was uh, illegal immigrant, uh, working in the back of a kitchen. He he actually worked in the Tavern of the Green, um, mm. uh, which is a famous restaurant in Central Park, and. Um, he said when the, the immigration ice used to come in, uh, he would have to like run up to the roof and like he'll be smoking a cigarette up there <laughs> until until they you know take employees out you know and arrest them and and he's gotten away with a with a lot you know and thanks um, yeah yeah eventually he became a citizen. He every time I go somewhere and like I try to bring him some honey from any anywhere around the world um, you know when I'm traveling, but. He uh no he worked in like back of the kitchen jobs um then also worked in a bodega liquor store uh and then eventually cab driving you know we all grew up together in the same building same same floor they lived across the hall from me um I literally grew up in a building where all five apartments in that floor were all my cousins you know first and second cousins I feel like that's the best kind of childhood, you know, like getting to run around and like have a lot of people right where you live that you know and you can go and play with. And I think about that a lot. I have a three-year-old and it's kind of hard to recreate that, you know. Yep. I think a lot about how to raise her with community and stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, New York, when you grew up here, it's it, you're built different, you know, like I was... I was selling candy in the subways, you know, I don't know, when I was like eight, nine years old, you know, like I was selling chocolate and stuff like that. You know, like it's it's just the, the hustle is different. Yeah. What kind of environment are you trying to create for your kids? Trying to do the same. You know, like I think the city makes you stronger. You, you learn more. Uh, obviously, I want to let her grow as she grows and I don't want to like put any crazy responsibilities on her, you know, like I had when I was growing up, you know, and. Is she also going to have family in the building, that kind of thing? No. Um, and that's, and that's hard, you know, Lower East Side is gentrified, you know, yeah. my, my neighbors are people that, you know, live in the middle of nowhere that, you know, move to the city, you know? Yeah. And that's a tough thing too, about like moving up financially is that the family units grow farther apart, you know, like, I just feel like back in the day, people live near family because you had to or because like, that's how you got an opportunity to, to even find a place to live or. And then now it's like now that you have more money, maybe more choice of where to live. It probably means you're not like right close to your family, which is great in some ways, but then it's like you, yeah, you don't have that kind of family, kids running around everywhere, and there's like this village taking care of them. Yeah, you you just hit it in the head. I mean, I feel like a village raised me. You know, I my mom immigrated, and we lived in that building in my aunt's apartment down the hall, and then she moved into the apartment three years later. You know, down the down the hall. You know, and so like the. We we needed a piggyback off of other family members, and I'm I'm not too far from my my mom's still in the same you know rent control apartment. She's paying seven hundred bucks for a two bedroom. Wow, wow, uh, that's that's awesome. You know, but I'm paying like eight times more than her now. <laughs> that, like 
two blocks away from her, mm-hmm. which is good. You know, my mom is right there. Um, my sister's there still with my mom. And my brother's down the block. My brother's a city council member. He's on the opposite direction, two more blocks. You know, so we're, we're close still. But yeah, no, it's crazy that like now you're literally living in the same building with all the hipsters coming into New York and like you have a totally different history with that neighborhood. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart, but how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So you you run Con Body, this workout program that's a prison-style workout that you created. Um, and then you're, you're starting up Con Bud. How much money do you make now? I mean, I, I make probably a little bit over a hundred k a year. How do you feel about that? I feel good. I feel good. You know, I feel like somebody. I feel like I'm in a decent position. I, I make more money from other stuff on payroll, you know, and that's what I paid myself a salary. And so, I don't know. I feel satisfied that I could, I could live well, I could provide something for my family. And 
and, and know that I'm doing it legit, that I'm not going to hurt anybody to, you know, be, to, to get what I need or get what I want, you know? And so, um, I feel like I'm in a decent position. And now you're raising capital, as I understand it, for a new company, Conbud, the legal cannabis business. Can you talk about that and like how that's going? Yeah, I, you know, I have a lot of offers. I haven't uh, accepted capital yet just because I, I want to have the license in hand before we move forward. And so, you know, Combud, what we're planning to do is hire people that have been affected by the war on drugs to, to work at our dispensaries, to be, you know, our marketing, our team, you know, our, be our community and our family to be out there and, and share their stories. Uh, how they've been impacted by just cannabis, you know, something that's been uh, legalized in different states, you know, 37 states in some sort of way, whether it's medically or recreationally. And and most people that are making the real money off of it is, you know, really white, rich men, you know? And so why can't we get a shot at it? Why can't we get, you know, first dibs? And that's what New York State, you know, did right. You know, they're, they're working on doing it right, where they're allowing the first convicted with criminal records uh, to get a first shot to open up the dispensary. So that's what I'm doing today. Um, I'm trying to sell weed again. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. I, I should, you know, I'm hearing that I might find out today. I might hear oh. that I find out tomorrow, this week. I don't know. But they, oh, wow. they ha- they're going to make the announcement pretty soon. And, and so we'll 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 find out. We'll find out if I could get back on the market. <laughs> so what has it been like to actually try to get that legal cannabis license? It was not easy. You know, it was a lot of paperwork that I had to draw up. I partnered up with two of my I call them my cousins, but they're married to my my first cousins, Alfredo and Junior, and they have successful businesses with bars and restaurants in the city. And so I, I went in with them just because they, you know, I need a team. I need a C-level team that could help me manage this crazy business. And so I had to draw up a whole bunch of paperwork, you know, with my my criminal record. So I had to be convicted just for cannabis. And I, I've been convicted just for cannabis multiple times. And so uh, I met the qualifications. And then also I had to show two years of a net profit on a real business. And so on, on Combody, I, I was fortunate enough to you know, turn those net profits around. And most people don't report net profits because you got to pay more taxes. So, yeah, I mean, it's, so I, I was fortunate enough to, to, you know, be in that right position um, to have employees on on payroll. So I, I think I'm a, a highly qualified applicant. I was able to uh, acquire a building in the Lower East Side. Right in front was the first time I got arrested for marijuana at 13. And so it, it would have been crazy if I could get that location. And, yeah. and, and I don't I don't know. It, it could go back into a full circle. But my cousins actually purchased a building in the South Bronx. And so we have a pretty big building over there that we're looking to open up one of the dispensaries over there. So... That's what we had to plan out, and then when they, then they afterwards they were they announced that they're going to give the locations to these applicants. So there's 150 applicants that will get accepted for the first dispensaries in the whole state of New York, and they're going to provide them with a 
location and a build out. And so, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Not a lot of people realize that prison is expensive. It is and can be from buying food that you like better or making phone calls. Can you talk more about that? Like how how is prison expensive and how much money were you spending in prison? Yeah, I mean, prison could get really expensive, you know, especially um, you know, with food. I mean, the the food in the commissary is not that expensive. You know, you you're only allowed to spend like I think it was like four or five hundred dollars a month. Um we 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 think about it and we're like, oh that's that's nothing. But when you're not generating anything and you just keep spending and then you then you also have phone calls. You know, phone calls have gotten cheaper, but you know, when you uh take one phone call and you speak to your family for 30 minutes and and the bill comes out to, you know, 50 bucks. You know, that's what you're paying monthly on a phone bill today, you know. Um, and so I was calling home almost every single day, you know. So it, it was it was like a dollar, a dollar change. Uh, and then you get tapped out. It was like a dollar and change per minute. Um, and then you get tapped out with the amount of, you get like 30 minutes. And so there was times what I, w- I would do is I would buy minutes from other people. So I would use, because you only they only allow you to do one like phone call or two phone calls or whatever, or 30 minutes a day. And so you, would, you could split that or something like that. I forgot what it was, but there was people that never called their families, but they had, you know, those 30 minutes. So I would use it. I would send them money um, and we would have more access to communicate with them. Hmm. Did you spend money to get better food in prison? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Go on a commissary, you know. Like in prison, you you get to like buy real food, like chicken, rice, onions, um, you know, all types. Of, I mean, like you know, pastries, like honey buns and uh, ramen noodle soups and. Yeah, there's a there's a lot that you could you could purchase and you could blend and you could cook and then um, I was getting, you know, my ex wife was sending me a package. You get 35 pounds a month in food, um, so I was getting food, you know, sent from home and then. Um, but yeah, if you don't if you don't have money, you you have to deal with the the, the prison food. You know, you have to you know go on that line and eat what they give you and and. It's not enough, you know. If you're relying on what they're gonna give you, like you're gonna be hungry. I would, I would cook too, but I had people, you know, that was uh, we would eat together. In prison, this the communities divide. You know, you have like black people, Spanish people, and there's not many other. Uh, there's white and Asians, but there's not. A lot of them while they're incarcerated. So I was I was eating with, you know, maybe five to ten Spanish people. And sometimes I would, you know, throw on a meal for everybody. You know, and somebody would cook, somebody would wash the dishes. Um, and that's how we did it. So how much money per month do you think you were spending in prison? On just food? 
maybe a thousand, but then on weed, there was times I was like spending maybe like five hundred dollars a day. I, I was literally uh, smoking weed on myself and locking myself in, uh, playing Sudoku and listening to Hot ninety seven. And that's and I went through so many Sudoku books and um, mm-hmm. and then playing like dominoes with the other inmates, and, and so that's uh, yeah, recreational, like having time to like hang out and and uh, you know build that community, but. Uh, but it also be, it was an addiction as well. You know, I, I was I was a, uh, smoking a lot while I was in the streets. I was smoking like two packs of cigarettes a day. I was smoking like 50 blunts a day. You know, so keeping up that habit was was very expensive. But also you feel, uh, I don't know, they call it like you have that monkey in your back. You know, you feel like you need it. You know, it's like when, when you feel like you need a cigarette. Um, uh, but yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I felt like I needed it. And then also like when I got it, I felt relaxed and felt good. As listeners to the show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
it is crazy just to hear about, um, like, just to to feel to feel okay to like be in a mind state that where you can survive, and then also to eat food that so that you're not just atrophying. Like, it's really expensive. Yeah, and I'm, and I was not uh, I was not a regular inmate. You know, um, yeah, there's, yeah. There's mo- most of the people don't have the access to, right. to money. You know, they sure. they don't have family or anybody doing anything for them. So right. that's the reality. Yeah. When you reflect on your wild success in the drug business, the money you made, all the business skills you learned, like everything you got out of it, do you also feel at all bad about potentially doing harm to others in pursuit of money? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I felt... Like, I didn't care. You know, I felt like I just, uh, I had a cold heart and I didn't care who I sold drugs to. It was, you know, it was all about, like, what I was going to gain from it. You know, I, I didn't think, I knew I was hurting people. But yeah, no, I, I felt like I had a cold heart. You know, I, I felt like I was in pursuit of money and I didn't care, you know, how I went after it. You know, no matter what, it was it was all about me and and that was it. It was great. It was mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that it was also a time in your life that you had to look out for yourself. Like you, you know, everyone does it to different degrees, but like you, there's, I feel like there's times in our life when we have to put on this armor and like look out for ourselves. And for you, it took, it took this form, you know, like it was something that, you probably felt like you needed to do in the beginning yes and yeah. in the beginning I, I felt like it was a necessity uh and then once things started running on its own it felt i don't know it was not fun anymore either mm-hmm. um it, it was like you know going from a startup to a corporate mm-hmm. job you know i felt like i was in a machine that i was just coming up and showing face and you know it was not that was not exciting you know like I, I started, I started off in the corner, you know, selling coke and crack and weed, and like, you know, I didn't know I was gonna deal with like Wall Street people buying at a higher margin, and then, you know, that that started changing and started adapting, and then I couldn't deal with the demand, so I had to get drivers and deliveries. It was not like, hey, this is I didn't write that down. And saying like I'm gonna start a whole delivery service, and this is how it's gonna operate. I think it was um, uh, as you as you go along and you pivot and you figure it out and you grow. So coming out of prison, how did you think about making money going forward? You know, like you had all this experience, but it sounds like you didn't want to repeat those same patterns. So, like, what did you think earning a living? would look like out of prison and can you talk about what some of those first moments were like coming out i mean it was i had the idea to start like the fitness classes you know and and getting as many people as possible um you know to come together in one setting and and pay me you know whether it was you know 10 20 30 bucks whatever it was um that was that was the idea, you know, and at the beginning, it was not about like 
hiring people coming out of the prison system. It was not until like I was uh, sitting down in, in an accelerator program uh, when I first came home, uh, probably uh, three months out when they were like, hey, this is what a real business plan looks like. You know, what's uh, your mission, vision, statement, values? And um, I had no idea what the hell that shit was, you know, mm-hmm. until, you know, I was like, oh, you know, maybe this is the bigger picture. And so that's when right. I started writing, our, our, like, my mission of hiring people coming out of the system and recreating uh, and cultivating, like, a brand and putting together, like, a marketing strategy and things of that nature. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you felt like, okay, like I have all this business acumen, but at the same time, I'm going into a different realm because, you know, you could argue that when you're selling drugs, like you're selling a physically addictive substance. And so the the demand is like chemical and like it's like people are coming to you because they're addicted. And I mean, and also because you, you know, set up this system that works. But when you're selling something else, I mean, fitness can be addictive, but generally is not quite as addictive as drugs. So, like, I'm wondering if you thought about, like, okay, so, like, how do you sell something that people might just be like, eh, like, I did it once, I don't need to do it again, or just if you thought about that? Yeah, no, I I think people... Uh, they are addictive personalities out there. There's people that come to the yeah. studio and work out with us every single day. Um, and, and, and it has like that addictive touch to it, but not as much as like, hey, I tried my first, you know, hit a crack and like now I want more and I want more. You know, it's, it's different. But I, the way I looked at it was not like to get more addicts involved. <laughs> Uh, I, it, my idea was just like to give something more positive and more healthy to society. I felt like I was, uh, I was hurting people while I was in the streets, you know, with the stuff that I was doing, you know, and so I wanted to give back to society something more positive, more healthy, you know. Well, tell me a little bit more about how in some ways you do see some similarity with people being addicted to coming into the gym every day. Like it gives them something like what is that? Is there that similarity between the desire to have a hot body and the desire to stay up all night doing coke? Like, do you see those similarities in the people coming in who do that? Yeah, I, I think vanity could be a, uh, something that people, you know, look at and it's in our faces all the time with, you know, watching Instagram and looking how people look and and then we, you know, feel some type of way that we're not that perfect being that we see on on, on our screens. And so uh, we do see uh, people addicted to wanting to reach perfection, you know. And there's been a handful of people that have bought drugs for me back in the day that, you know, uh, work out with us, you know. And, um, uh, and they change their lives and they're not using anymore. And, you know, so, yeah. What are your financial goals now? Mm-hmm. Obviously, I want to make a lot of money, but also just share it. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I have a goal. I don't know if I have a number that 
this is it or whatever it is. Um, I definitely want my family to be comfortable. People that I employ and friends that I, you know, work with me to feel comfortable. Um, I guess I might want to own something in New York City, but maybe not. You know, I, yeah. I feel like that that's complicated um, and could be more of a headache. Um, my wife and I, like, want to buy, we were going to buy something in, like, Mexico, you know, and, and um, you know, off the beach or something like that. You just have such a amazing story and, like, so many mini stories to tell, so thank you. No, I appreciate it, Maya, and I, and I really look forward to, to seeing it, hearing it, you know, when it does come out. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Other People's Pockets. And hey, quick favor, if you like the show, please tell a friend. Word of mouth really helps us. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Other People's Pockets is written and hosted by me, Maya Lau. It's produced by me, along with Joy Sanford and Dan Gallucci. Production help from Angela Vang. Our executive producers are me, along with Jane Marie and Dan Gallucci. A special thanks to multi-generational buildings. Other People's Pockets is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this show, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus, offering bonus content and ad-free listening across our network for $4.99 a month. Look for the Pushkin Plus channel on Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. You can sign up for Pushkin newsletters at pushkin.fm. Find me on Twitter at Maya Lau or on Instagram and TikTok at It's Maya Money. And hey, one last thing, OPP listeners, we are interested in hearing about whether you've had a big rupture in your life and how it impacted your personal finances. A divorce, a death, a diagnosis, anything where there was a financial before and after for you. Leave us a voicemail at 323-540-4255. That's 323-540-4255. Or record a voice memo no longer than five minutes and send it to otherpeoplespockets at gmail.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! 
and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, Tanner, girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.